hello, and once again, welcome to Vaughn Forest Church. Uh, my name is Chad. I am one of the pastors on staff here. I'm excited to get to be here with you today as we are concluding our message series, Game Plan. For the last three weeks, we have been taking a look at God's game plan for our life as we kind of move out of the summer, out of the craziness of summer and vacation season, and back into the normal rhythms of fall, trying to get kids back in school, get back to work, and kind of hit those, uh, those rhythms. I know there's all kinds of meetings and things we have to be at, places we're expected to be, and so we wanted to uh, take a look at what God's game plan is for us with things like our parenting, with things like uh, topics like our marriage, and when we, how we interact with one another. And so we've been in this series for three weeks, and if you have missed any of those messages, I would highly encourage you, head over to VaughnForest.com, click on the Messages tab, and get caught up. There has been some great teaching in this series, and uh, we're going to continue to conclude that in just a minute here today. But before we get to today's message, I want to give you a little bit of a preview about where we are heading over the next couple of weeks. Next Sunday is Labor Day weekend, September 3rd. Now, I don't know if y'all can believe it or not. But August is actually about to draw to a close, and September is almost here. And that sounds really great, except for you walk outside and it's still like 150 degrees with 100% humidity. Uh, my wife Christy and I, uh, we went to Costco the other day. We walk into Costco and I see fall decorations and I kid you not, they already have Christmas decorations up at Costco. So we walk in and I see all these decorations, like this is awesome, only to walk outside and immediately be reminded that it is still like the surface of the sun in Montgomery, Alabama and Pike Road, Alabama. But the good news is, is that next week is September. It is Labor Day weekend. The year is moving on. And next Sunday, you're not going to want to miss our student pastor, Matt Aldridge, is going to be with us. And uh, he's going to be bringing the word. He does a fantastic job. I know you're going to love it. If for some reason you can't be here on campus, make sure you join us online, 930 and 11 a.m. It's going to be a fantastic, fantastic Sunday. The Sunday after that, two weeks from today, September 10th, we are kicking off a brand new series called Misunderstood, Did Jesus Really Say That? And this series is loosely based on a book by a guy named Larry Osborne uh, called 10 Dumb Things That Smart Christians Believe. And what we're going to be doing in this series is we're going to be taking a look at some of the different myths that have kind of propagated in the modern Christian church and taking a look at what scripture has to say about them. Uh, things like, you know, have you ever seen anyone who's been going through a really tough time and someone looks at them and says, well, you know, scripture says that God's never going to put more on you than you can bear. Really? Is that what scripture says? Is that what scripture says? We're going to be taking a look to see. And the good thing that I will tell you is that what scripture actually does say about some of these Christian myths is that what scripture actually says has a lot more hope and has a lot more promise in it. So we're going to be doing that. That series kicks off Sunday, September 10th, two weeks from today. Make sure that you are here. It's going to be a fantastic series, and I think that you are going to get a lot out of it. But for today, we are continuing in our game plan message series, and today we're going to be wrapping up this series by talking about community. Now here at Vaughn Forest Church, when we say this word community, oftentimes we are referring to biblical community. Uh, things like small groups, things like accountability groups, when you gather with other believers uh, to study God's word and to pray. 
And biblical community is a super, super important thing. We did a, uh, an entire message back in July about this, and then we are actually in the middle of life group sign-up for our fall semester of groups. And groups are filling up fast. If you are not connected to a small group, I would highly encourage you, grab that catalog that you saw on the table on the way in, head out to the life group table when we're done here after the service, and make sure you are getting connected to a group. We've had several groups fill up, and life groups are one of the best things that happen here at Vaughn Forest Church. It is one of the best ways to grow in your faith, to grow closer to the Lord, grow closer to each other. But today, we're not talking about biblical community, but rather we're talking about our geographical and social community. And we're talking about the places that we live our lives. These are where we, our houses are. This is where we go to work. This is where we go out to eat. This is where we send our kids. For some of us that are working remotely from home, this could be the Zoom uh, that you go in and interact with others. But any place that you interact with other people, these are the places and the spaces that we live out our lives. We're talking about our geographical and our social communities. And today, during our time together, I want us to kind of ponder this question. So at the top of the message, I want you to put this in the back of your mind, and as we go through this idea, talking about the communities that we live in and God's game plan for our communities, I want you to ponder this question. What if God has a purpose for me in my community? What if God has a purpose for me in my community? And what if our communities weren't just the places that we live, but rather the places that we could live out the purpose that God has for us in our lives? And God's word has a lot to say about this. So the title of our message for today is God's Game Plan for Your Community, and we're going to be in Philippians, kicking it off in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Philippians 1, chapter, uh, excuse me, verse 27. And uh, if you don't have your Bibles, no worries. We're going to put all the scripture up here on the screens for you. But I want us to take a look at what it looks like for us as followers of Jesus to live out our faith in our everyday lives, to live out the purpose that God has for us in our communities, to find out what God's game plan is for us with our communities. And I'm going to go ahead and spoil the sermon for you today here at the top. We don't normally do this, but I want to go ahead and give you kind of the main idea, the big idea for the sermon today here at the top of it, so you can keep this in the back of your mind throughout our time here today, and it's this, that God's game plan for us in our communities is for us to love and serve our communities. God's game plan for us as followers of Jesus in our communities is for us to love and serve in our communities, and this seems a little bit backwards, right? Like we said, that we're talking about like God's game plan as you're moving out of one season and into another crazy, hectic season, and it seems a little bit odd that I would say that the game plan is for us to extend ourselves even a little bit more and to serve others and to get involved in other things, loving and serving on those in our community. But in God's economy, that is what we are called to, and that is how we find true peace, and that is how we accomplish God's game plan uh, for our lives in our communities. And God's word has some great guidance for us on this, and so we're going to take a look at what Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and then we're actually going to give a little historical context, because I think a little context with Paul's letter is going to really help us understand the importance of what he is writing here, and then we'll get to some real practical application uh, as we dig into uh, God's game plan for our communities for us today. So, picking it up in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, 
Paul writes this. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. So this phrase that Paul uses at the beginning of this verse where he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Some translations say, let your citizenship be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And the Greek word that's being used there is polituami. Polituami. And it's where we get the, uh, the word polis or city from. It's where we get the word city from. Citizenship is derived from this word. Now, why does that matter? Because what Paul is saying is he is saying basically in this phrase, let your citizenship be worthy of the gospel of Jesus and of the kingdom of God. In other words, your citizenship belongs in heaven. Your citizenship, first and foremost, is to the kingdom of God. Now, we are on this earth, and yes, we have citizenship in different countries, and these folks would have had citizenship in Rome, but he is saying your first and foremost allegiance is to God, is to Jesus. And that would have been a huge deal for Paul to say this to these believers in Philippi. And to understand why this was such a big deal, I'm going to need everyone in the room to put on your history hats, and we're going to take a little history tour. So let's put a map up of where Philippi is so you can see it. It's in modern-day Greece. It's located right here. Here's Rome over here. Jerusalem's down over here. Lots of cities in between. And it was very strategically located in the middle of a lot of the known world at that time. So in 356 BC, there's a guy named Philip II of Macedonia who comes and he conquers what would later be known as Philippi. Philip II is most famously known for being the father of a guy named Alexander the Great, located in Macedonia. And Philip II, once he conquers this city, he says, you know what? I want to rename this city in honor of someone, and I think that person will be me. So he renames it in honor of himself, and it becomes a major trade hub for the area. You can see, very centrally located. Lots of folks, if you were going to the Middle East, if you were going over to Rome, you typically pass through this area. Very close also uh, to a seaport, less than 10 miles. And so they had land trade, they had sea trade. And by the time that Paul shows up here in about 49 AD, this city was already ancient with tons of history and culture. Again, all the way back to 356 BC. Now, the other thing that it's super famous for is the Battle of Philippi, which was fought in 42 BC. And this is when, after Julius Caesar was assassinated by Brutus and Cassius, the armies of Mark Anthony and Octavian catch up to him here at Philippi, and they defeat them here at Philippi. Now, why does that matter? It matters because they then made the offer to all of the soldiers who fought at that battle in honor of their victory that they could move to the city of Philippi and they wouldn't have to pay taxes in honor of their victory. Now, I don't know about you guys. That sounds pretty good to me. Like, there's lots of parts of the United States that I don't know anything about. I mean, out west, I've never really been out there to like Idaho, I don't know, nothing wrong with Idaho, I'm sure it's beautiful and an amazing country, if anyone's from Idaho, I'm not knocking Idaho, but if you tell me, hey Chad, you'll never have to pay taxes again, I'm going to go learn how to farm potatoes, right? Like, that's super important. So, they tell them, in honor of this huge victory that they have, they'll never have to pay taxes again, and so this city is super important. Again, it's a massive uh, trade hub, there's all these different tax breaks for the folks who live there, uh, it's got all this culture, all this history, and so... This led to the people of Philippi, understandably, having a very high opinion of themselves. 
They thought a lot of themselves. They thought a lot of their community, and they were not wrong. So here comes Paul, and Paul says, hey, I hear you. That's fantastic, but primarily your citizenship is not to Rome. It is not to Philippi. It is to heaven, and you need to live your lives in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This would have been a really tough pill for them to swallow. This would have been very tough for them to hear. I mean, think about us today. If someone comes here, I love my nation. I love the community that I live in. And if someone were to come to me, like Paul is writing here, which he is, and to tell us, hey, primarily your citizenship is in heaven. It's not to this other place. That can be a really tough pill to swallow, especially to these new believers in Philippi who had never heard this before. Many of us have grown up with the Bible. We've read this. For them, this would have been something that was completely new. But we never forget where our citizenship is. So, with all that being said, what does Paul mean by writing this? Is he saying to be defiant? Is he saying to push back against the government? Absolutely not. That's not what he's instructing the church in Philippi to do here. What he is saying is that they need to live in their communities, that God's game plan for them in their communities is to live in such a way that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that they can live as Jesus has called us to in humble imitation of him. Paul will literally write at one point, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. For those of us that would call ourselves Christ followers, our job is to imitate Christ as best we are able. And so I want to spend the rest of our time today kind of talking about practically what does that look like. Because we can say imitate Christ, and like that's a good thing to do, but practically, what does that look like in our lives for us to imitate Jesus? And I want to talk about how this can help us in our game plan of how we live in our communities and uh, as we shift back into this fall season and beyond. So, we're going to pick it up in chapter 2 of Philippians, beginning in verse 1 where Paul is going to continue to write, and we'll skip around a little bit, uh, but let's see what he says here. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interest of others when we examine the life of Jesus which we are called to imitate those of us that would call us followers of him what we see first off is that Jesus loved those around him through living a life of service Almost the entirety of the three-year ministry that we see of Jesus is spent in service to others. He put others first, and he would continue this trend when he would go to the cross for our sin. And he loved, and because he loved, he sacrificed. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about serving. And we talked about our motivation behind serving is love. We love. And in any loving relationship, there is some level of sacrifice that is always required. And it can be something as simple as like, you want to go to one restaurant, your spouse wants to go to a different restaurant, and because you love them, you back off and you let them pick the restaurant. 
It could be you get home from work and you're tired. All you want to do is go sit down and watch TV, but you know that your kid is going to need help with their homework. And so you sacrifice your wants and your desires to go and help them. It could be more extreme than that. It could be that you're in the military and you love this country and you love your fellow countrymen so much that you are willing to sacrifice your life for them. And it's every level in between, but in any loving relationship, sacrifice is always required. And Paul is writing to them here that we are, as Christians, are to sacrifice and put others ahead of ourselves. You see, the world that we live in today, very similar to the world back then, it is a me-first culture. It is a self-centered, me-first, promote-self culture. How many times do you hear that these days? you got to promote your brand, right? It is a me-first culture. And everything is, all, so many folks' time is spent promoting self, and this is the opposite of what Paul is writing here. And this would have been true, again, for the citizens of Philippi. They had been told that they were it. They were this bright, shining star in the Roman Empire. And Paul is saying, rather than think highly of yourselves, you should put others first and you should love. And remember that Jesus told us that the world would know that we are his disciples by how we love one another. And so by living this way, this countercultural way, culture's heading one way in this me-first culture, and Paul is writing that as imitators of Jesus, we are to put others first and put ourselves last, they would have stuck out in a pretty big way. It would have been noticeable. This is a good thing, but it would have been super noticeable. And because of the heart change that happens in our lives when we accept Jesus, there tends to result, there always results when we accept Jesus, in an outward change in our life. So God's game plan for our community, first, number one, is this, that loving my community means that there are outward signs of an inward change. Loving my community means that there are outward signs of an inward change change as followers of Jesus we do not behave the same as we used to there are outward signs of the inward change that has happened in our lives and one of the questions that I get the most as a pastor are people who come up to me and they say hey you know I've prayed that prayer I meant it I asked Jesus into my heart but sometimes I just don't know if I am really saved and what I tell folks to look for is to look for those outward signs in their lives. Is there a change in your life? Were you one way before you made that decision? Are you a different way now? Do you see the fruit of that decision in your life? We do something here every couple of months at Vaughn Forest Church called Kid Faith. And in Kid Faith, uh, it's for elementary age kids. And if you're interested in having your, your child sign up for that, you'll have an opportunity soon to do so. But what happens in Kid Faith is parents and their kids come upstairs to our kids' room. And using science, we uh, explain the gospel. We explain how there was sin and how Jesus had to die for us. And how ultimately that's the only way that we could spend eternity with God in heaven. And we unpack the gospel for them. We explain baptism to them. And, uh, and then at the end of that time, we send the kids out and we have a conversation with the parents. Because you see, the purpose of kid faith is not for us to come there and make some sort of emotional plea to your kids to get them to accept Jesus. The purpose of kid faith is to explain the gospel and to equip the parents to lead their children to Jesus. We believe as a parent, you are the most well-equipped and the most qualified to lead your child to Jesus. Now, if you're not comfortable having that conversation, that's completely okay. We have all kinds of staff, kids ministry, student ministry, pastors, they'll be happy to help you in that conversation. But I say all that to say this. 
when the kids leave the room and we talk with the parents and they say, how do we know that our child's decision is real? We say, look for the fruit in their lives. Look for the change from how they were before to how they were after. And this has been true for my children in their lives. My, uh, my oldest, Lena, when she was young, she got saved super young. And, uh, and so we talked to her about it, and, and she had all the right answers, and she understood the decision that she was making. And then after the fact, I remember her mother and I were having a conversation about how, man, we really see a change in her life. And it wasn't necessarily immediate. But gradually over time, we saw that change and we saw that brokenness over sin and we saw the fruit in her life. And the same was true of my second daughter, Ava, when she made that decision to follow Jesus. Subsequently, her mom and I, we would kind of watch, I wonder if she really meant that, and we would see the life change happening in their lives. And so there is fruit that comes out in our lives when we decide to follow Jesus. How can we know that there has been an inward change? Because there are outward signs of that. And Paul writes about that in Galatians chapter five. So if you want to know what to look forward to this, he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control and what when that inward change happens in our hearts through the work of the holy spirit we see these fruits manifest themselves in our lives and when these fruits manifest themselves in our lives we imitate jesus all the more what does it practically look like to imitate jesus to have these fruits of the spirit in your life and jesus perfectly exemplified every single one of these fruits of the Spirit. So how do we practically imitate Christ? By living this out. How do we execute God's game plan in our communities? By living this out. And when that happens, everyone around us takes note because we are going counter to culture. Everyone around us sees that. I mean, think about your own life for a second. There is probably someone in your life that when I read through these fruits of the Spirit that you're reminded of, Someone who lives these out. Someone that you can see this manifesting in their lives. And we gravitate towards these people, right? We gravitate towards these people. I certainly know that I have several of these folks in my own life. We can't help but gravitate towards them because they are imitators of Jesus. They don't get shaken by the things of this world. They are solid, they love, and they sacrifice for others. And we cannot help but take note when that happens. So God's game plan for our community starts with loving our community by exhibiting those outward signs of the inward change, which are the fruits of the Spirit. Scroll down to verse 14, chapter 2. Paul says this, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. So I think one of the dangers that we as Christians can sometimes fall into is that oftentimes we become more known for what we are against than what we are for. We can become known for what we are against than what we are for. Now hear me clearly. I'm not saying that we should tolerate sin I'm not saying that sin is anything other than a terrible, awful thing. And I'm not saying that we should call sin anything other than sin. It is contrary to the way that Jesus has called us to live for us to sin. Jesus himself spoke truth to all that he encountered. He didn't sugarcoat their sin. He spoke truth to them. But what I am saying today is that Jesus, while full of truth, was also full of grace. And that we, as imitators of Christ, should strive 
to be the same, full of truth and full of grace. And it always amazes me when Christians expect non-Christians to act like Christians. We do that, right? We expect, as believers, we expect non-Christians to act like Christians. And so often the danger in this, when this happens, is we begin to see that person instead of the sin as our enemy. We begin to see the things they are doing as that person's identity. And we start to see the people that we are trying to love as the enemy. And that is not how Jesus treated them. People are not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. Sin is the enemy. And Paul would write about this in Ephesians chapter 6. He says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So for us as believers, our goal is to imitate Christ, to be full as much as possible, of grace and truth and to exhibit the love of the Lord to our community. Why? Because that is what we are called to do. We don't have any ulterior motive other than to do what God has called us to do, which is to show the love of the Lord to those around us. And that's going to bring us to our second point for today, our game plan for our community. Loving my community means serving with no strings attached. Loving my community means serving with no strings attached. And this is one of our core values here at Vaughn Forest Church. If you're around here for, for any length of time, you hear us talking about the importance of serving with no strings attached. And there are so many folks in the communities around us that have never stepped foot through these doors, or maybe they have, but they think that the church wants something from them. They come in here and they're like, yeah, all right, what's going to be the push? What is it that the church wants from me? And what I would like to say to you today is the church does not want anything from you. The church wants something for you. We don't want anything from you. We want something for you. And what we want for you is to experience the goodness that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we serve with no strings attached to show you the love of Christ. Let's throw that verse back up there. Verse 14, where Paul says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. And I love what Paul says here, this imagery, that when we serve in the way that Jesus has called us to, in this countercultural way, that we shine among them like stars in the sky. People will see how you love and they will be drawn to Jesus. And I can think of no better testimony. I can think of no better endorsement. Let it be written on my tombstone that when people look at you, they see Jesus in you. The best endorsement for our lives is that when people look at you, they see Jesus in you. And as followers of Jesus in our communities, we should be the most well-respected, the most thought of, as Paul writes here, shining like stars in the sky, folks, in our communities. We should be leaders and servants at all levels, whether that's working in government, in any, <clears throat> any level of government, whether that's owning a business whether that's working in a business, maybe that's staying home and raising a family, maybe that's going to school, whatever it is that you do in your community, serving in different organizations, coaching football teams or other kids' teams or whatever that looks like, we should do it in such a way where we do all of it to the glory of God, pointing straight to Jesus, and when we do, we shine like stars in the sky is what Paul says here. So we love and we serve our community, no strings attached, 
Part two of God's game plan for us. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Chad, that sounds great, and it's awesome when we get to serve our community, and they're appreciative, but there are some folks that I work with, or maybe there's some folks that I go to school with, or maybe there's some folks that I just know from wherever it may be that they do not like me because of who I represent. They do not like me because of Jesus. And you know what? You are 100% right. It is tough to love and serve those folks. And there will be people that do not like you because of who you represent, because you represent Jesus. And as a matter of fact, Jesus warned us that this would happen. He told us that the world would hate us because of him. And Paul is actually going to comment on that here in verse 17. He says this, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And I love this imagery that Paul uses here of being poured out. This is imagery of your life being poured out into the life of someone else. And what I would like to gently say to all of the Christ followers in the room, those of you who would call yourself a Christian, To those of you who would maybe be considering becoming a Christian, what I would like to very gently say to you today is this, that when you decide to follow Jesus, you are signing up to have your life poured out. You are signing up to know that there will be hardships and there will be times of trials and trouble that come your way. You are signing up to live a life of sacrifice. And we've talked about this all morning. Why do we put, we put others ahead of ourselves? Why do we do that? Because it is what Jesus exemplified for us, and it is what we are called to. Again, Jesus promised us that there would be trials that come our way, and when you say, I want to follow Jesus, this is what you are signing up for, to live a life of service. So God's game plan for our community, number three, is this, that loving my community means expecting hardships and trials and serving anyway. Loving my community means expecting hardships and trials and serving anyway. We are never more like Jesus than when we are sacrificing our wants, our needs for others. And our goal as Christians is not to avoid all suffering. And that's really hard to say because like I've got a wife, I've got kids, I don't want them to suffer. I don't want them to go through tough things. I don't want to see my family, my friends, my coworkers suffer, but I'm not saying we seek it out, but what I am saying is that when the tough times come, as followers of Jesus, our goal is not to avoid those times, but to endure them well, as Jesus did. When the tough times come in our lives, as followers of Jesus, our goal is not to avoid those times at all costs, but to endure them well, as Jesus did. And it's in those times when our strength is spent, and we don't feel like we can take one more hit, that we lean on the Holy Spirit power that lives in our lives. I was talking to a group of guys one time, and we were just having a conversation about how uh, sometimes life can get really busy, get really hectic, get really tough. And we were talking about how, you know, you wake up early in the morning, have a lot of things going on, go to work, meetings all day, you drive home, and like the first thing you want to do is just go sit in front of the TV on the couch, right? And sitting out there uh, in the driveway, uh, it can be a little tough sometimes to want to walk through that door just because you're so exhausted. And this one gentleman was commenting on that, talking about how tough it was for him to want to walk through that door. And he said, sometimes I just don't think that I have the strength. I said, you know what? You're exactly right. You don't have the strength. But the Holy Spirit who lives in you provides that strength. Scripture literally tells us that it is in our weakness that the Lord is strong. God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. 
we can lean on that Holy Spirit power. And it's not just about sacrificing for those that we love. We sacrifice for everyone, even those who oppose us. Maybe it's a time of sacrifice in a situation in our lives, not necessarily against other people, but whatever it is, whatever it is that we face, we lean on that Holy Spirit power and we serve anyway. Why? Because Jesus has called us to imitate him and as imitators of Christ, we serve our community by sacrificially loving those around us. And so as you face whatever it is that you feel is looming over you in this season and any other, God's game plan is that you would lean on him. That you would trust in him and his strength. And when that happens, the entire world takes note. So how do we do that? How do we imitate Jesus? By loving and serving no matter what it is that comes our way and trusting in the faithfulness and the power of God. And that is God's game plan for our lives. The band's gonna come out and lead us in a time of response. The question that I would ask you as we wrap up today is what does that mean for you? As we sing here in just a moment, as we pray, the question I would like you to have in your mind is what does that mean for you? We can talk all day about the things that we should do, but what is it specifically, practically, that God is calling you to today? Maybe there's someone in your community that you need to mend a relationship with. Maybe that relationship's been broken through your actions or the actions of another, words that were said. And maybe as I'm saying that right now, you're thinking of a name, someone that as soon as we're done here, you need to go out and make a phone call, go over to their house this afternoon, mend that relationship. Maybe it's to start serving in some capacity in your community. Maybe God's calling you to step up and be a coach or God's calling you to step up and be a part of some different organization or serve wherever that may be. Maybe God's calling you to that so that you can be that light that shines like stars in the sky in your community. Maybe this morning it's just to commit for the first time ever to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe when I talk about this inward change, you would say, Chad, I've never had that happen in my life, but I would like to have that happen. If that's you today, on the connection card in your bulletin on the back, there's a place where you can check a box that says, send me information on becoming a follower of Jesus. If you check that box and drop it off in one of the metal bins, one of our pastors will follow up with you on that this week. Maybe it's just that you feel weak today. You don't feel like you have the strength to handle everything that's coming your way. And you need to pray today for that Holy Spirit power to be in your life, to empower you to face whatever it is that is coming at you in your life. Maybe as we respond in worship in just a moment, that's the prayer that you need to pray. Maybe you don't know what your next step is, and that's okay too. Maybe your next step today is to pray, God, reveal what that next step is to me. And whatever it is that the Lord is calling you to, and when we, in just a moment when we worship, my prayer is that you would have the boldness to take that step. That you would lean on the Lord as your game plan moving forward in this season and every other season, and that you would be the light of Jesus to your community, wherever that may be. Let's pray. So Father, we do thank you for how you love us. God, we thank you for your sacrifice. God, we thank you for your example for us to follow. God, we thank you for the privilege that it is to get to serve those in our community, those around us. And God, I just pray that now as we respond in worship, Lord, as you are moving on the hearts of those that are in this room and those who may be watching online, God, I pray that you would give them boldness, that they would step up and take whatever that next step is that you have for them. And God, I just pray that we in our lives can shine like stars, God, not so that we receive any kind of glory or edification, but God, just so that we can point everyone straight to you.
and it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. We invite you to stand as we worship together.